Hi, entrepreneurs. It's Steph here, and I want to be sure you've had the opportunity to reserve your ticket to our Entrepreneurs Founders Weekend for our Wealth and Wellness Retreat presented by Chase Inc. We will be hosting our event at the Ritz-Carlton in Orlando, Florida from May 3rd to May 5th, and you are definitely going to want to be there with us. This is going to be your opportunity to build relationships with some of the most powerful women in business. And I can share with you firsthand that the best business relationships are formed when we really get together in person. And I just know so much business magic is going to happen when we're all together. From educational panels, networking activities to wellness activations, inspiring keynotes and breakout sessions. This is going to be a weekend you are not going to want to miss. So you can reserve your ticket today over at entrepreneurista.com forward slash founders weekend. We only have a few tickets left, so be sure that you reserve yours today. That's entrepreneurista.com forward slash founders weekend. I cannot wait to see you there. When you come from a place of desperation with money, people can smell it 25 miles away. You have to approach your business from a place of mission. It doesn't mean that you let people walk all over you and that you're a doormat with finances, but you have to understand your North Star. And to me, if you understand that, everything else kind of drips down from it. Jamie Hess is an influencer and PR expert turned wellness mentor who encourages women to ask for help and accountability in the areas they need it most. After juggling her nine to five in PR and her side hustle on Instagram, Jamie realized she was never putting 100% into either. So she decided to focus full time on bringing her platform NYC FitFam to life. Jamie now focuses on bringing her community together through events, using her unique skill set to serve brands authentically. You're about to hear why Jamie says her North Star is being of service, and she tells us how to show up for yourself and your community. Coming up, why Jamie believes in the art of follow-up, what you need in place to transform your side hustle into your full-time hustle, why it's important to show more than just the good stuff on the gram. You will learn more about Jamie's big ask mission and how she's empowering women to ask for help and accountability. And finally, Jamie shares the steps you need to consider when starting a community-based business. This is the Entrepreneurista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters. No limits. And plenty of surprises. Jamie, we are so excited to finally sit down with you today and hear all about your incredible entrepreneurista journey and story. We connected a few months ago, actually through another mom community, and we always talk about the power of community and connection and networking. And I love how we were able to be brought together through through networking and community. And now here you are, and we get to hear all about your incredible story. So thank you so much for being here, Jamie. Thank you so much for having me. And it reminds me of one of the best and earliest pieces of business advice I was ever given. And it was by Patrick McMullen, the famous photographer. I was like 23 and I was interning in public relations. And he said to me, 
you know, sweetie, you, you got a real shot at this. You're good at this, but let me just give you one piece of advice. The most important thing that you will ever have to do or that you'll ever lo- like learn is the art of follow-up. And that has stuck with me for the rest of my life because you and I could have sat on that panel and gone our separate ways. And I could have been like, well, she was cool. And you're like, well, she was cool. But unless you close the loop and follow up with people, you never know what's possible. This is so true and a very important business lesson. So I can't wait for all of the goodies here you're about to share with us. Jeannie, I would love if you could take us back to your early career days. I know you have an incredible story about how you started out in PR and how that's really led you to, to where you are today in the business that you're building. You know, it's so funny. I went to NYU and I knew I wanted to do PR from forever, but I just didn't know what it was. Like, I didn't know that PR was the thing. But even before I went to school, I was like, interning at all of these, I'm a horseback rider, interning at all of these equestrian magazines and helping all of the, you know, the Equestrian AIDS Foundation throw these charity events and booking talent and helping them with the nightclub stuff to raise money for philanthropic ventures. All of those things put together are PR. I just didn't know that was the name for it. You know, I loved to write. I loved to event plan. I loved to bring people together and be a connector. I just didn't know what the name for it was until I was kind of like halfway through college and I started looking for internships. I randomly had a a happenstance meeting with Peggy Siegel, who is like an old legendary publicist. And I ran into her at an event. I was writing for a magazine in the Hamptons at the Hampton Classic (laughs) Horse Show. We actually had a bit of a run in. I think she called me a bitch, which sounds about right because that's like her style, you know, that that's old school PR mavens did not go easy on anybody. And I was like, well, I think we got off on the wrong foot, but I'm actually looking for an internship. And I, I, I said my piece and she was like, no, I like you, you know, you're ballsy. She's like, all right, come in on Monday. And I started interning. And from there I had a 20 year career in, in public relations and I loved every minute of it. I worked for Peggy Siegel, Susan Blonde, Lizzie Grubman. I was the director of PR for Crowbar, the nightclub um, in New York, Chicago, Miami for several years. I worked for a company called Think PR, doing all hospitality PR. So W Hotels Worldwide and all of those fun accounts. And then the last six years of my career, I was at a company called Narrative, which is an amazing PR company, women owned and really exemplifies how every PR company should be, like treats people well, a really great model of how PR is evolving and people are no longer calling each other bitches and throwing staplers at their interns' heads, which is like very, very indicative of like what was going on in the 90s. But um, I had this wonderful end of my career at Narrative. I was the SVP there. And so I say all this to say, I loved my career and I was happy. I wasn't even like, what's the next thing? Or how could I make my side hustle my thing to get me out of this miserable career? I loved my job. However, I had started this little Instagram account and it's called NYC Fit Fam and it had started to take fire. And what happened was over the course of the last two years of my PR career, my side hustle had become a full hustle. And I, at that point, I felt like I was never putting 100% of myself into either job. I was kind of 50% at narrative. I was kind of 50% in my new persona and, and I was doing TV. So I kind of always felt like, you know, I didn't have time to really get prepared for these things I was doing that were exciting. And I was like, I think it's time to pick a lane. And I'll tell you, making a leap from corporate 
to pursue a side hustle is so scary, but done with the plan and with passion and fire in your belly. And it's led me to a life beyond my wildest dreams. That's exactly what Stephanie and I did. So our, our main business, Social Fly, started as a side hustle 10 years ago when Stephanie and I were both were working in corporate America. And like you said, with the proper plan and a leap of faith, we were able to turn our side hustle into a very successful social media agency. And now we also have Entrepreneurista Media. So I'm so excited to hear from you about what happened next. So you decide to go all in on your side hustle. Now what? What happened? It's such a great question because like I think back and I can't even believe it was just a couple of years ago. I mean, what's happened in the past about four years, it's bananas really. My husband and I, just to like also let everybody know what the strategy was because a lot of people are like, I think I'm just gonna do it. I'm just gonna go in and quit don't do that. Okay. (laughs) Like we really sat down, we looked at our finances, at our books and we said, okay, so this is what you make. And if you can make that for four months in a row alone on the side hustle, then you can leave. And then we looked again and we said, well, wait a second. No, 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 no. These are our expenses now. But if I leave that job, then I have, I lived in New York city at the time, $3,000 a month in insurance for me and my family and all of these additional expenses that have to be considered. So I had to consider the full picture to really understand what I was going to have to be able to do to provide for my family, to go have these <laughs> with my husband. And so it was with a great deal of working numbers and understanding that I, but I was also, I love a challenge. So when he said, make that for four months, I was like, damn it, I'm going to make that for four months. So I left and I really muddled through in the beginning. But what I can say is that I was a bit lucky because I was a bit uniquely positioned coming from the PR and marketing background. So going to the influencer side from a PR and business background was incredibly helpful. So every time I speak on a panel or on a podcast and somebody asks, how do you become an influencer? I always say, don't just try to become an influencer (laughs) because you could be left a little bit empty if you don't have some other foundational skills. And at the end of the day, I really hope that nobody's putting all of their eggs in the basket of being an influencer because Instagram does not belong to you and it could go away tomorrow. It could blow up, it could be hacked, it could disappear off the internet. And if you don't have other viable business channels, then you're really doing yourself a disservice. So I've always run this like a multi-channel business. I started with the Instagram doing sponsored posts and we can get into that a little more, but I was just, I found my way. It was also a bit of an early time in all of this. So it was the wild west. However, I had been doing deals with the influence. I was the one hiring the influencers for the agency for brands like McDonald's and General Motors. So I did have a, a pretty good understanding of how to structure a program and that there is a consumer at the end of the rainbow. If you're an influencer and you're posting, but you're not driving the bottom line for your client, then what is the reason for them to be paying you? So you have to be considerate of that. Um, and I started then really taking my handle, which was NYC Fit Fam, and looking at that and saying, I started this because I believe in the hashtag fit fam, that we come together and we build friendships and relationships through fitness and it should be fun and community driven. So how can I take this offline and make it a community builder? My husband and I started doing these events that were based around plant-based eating, nutrition, fitness, mindfulness. And I would do all of these events and challenges and just bring real people together and bring the influencer community together in New York. And that's how I started to brand build. And then it turned into a TV career and a podcast and the list goes on. 
What were some of the first brands that you worked with where you were then the influencer for them and not the other way around? You know, I started like very early on. I asked some of my friendlies who were doing the influencer thing. I was like, hey, you know, I think I have something here. We've got a pretty good little following and I would love to work with some brands. How should I do that? So I started using some of the platforms that exist to connect influencers with brands. So early on, I think I did my first brand deal for like, I don't like $200. I'm not really sure. It was not a lot of money and I didn't really know what I was doing. But as I've come along now, obviously that has changed. I don't really have time to use those types of platforms. Most of my most of my brand deals are done reactively, meaning the brands come to me, but there is also a large amount of proactivities. And just to be clear, like people are like, oh, do the brands just come to you? Lots of brands come to me. However, I never wait for the brands to come to me. And I'm always thinking, how can I use my unique skill set positioning as a fit mom and the things that I like to serve these brands, to tell their story? So I don't really think of my platform as let's just do one-off sponsored posts. It happens, it happens, but more often than not, I, I'm creating an, an IGTV series. Like, yeah, I have an IGTV series called Nutritious Nostalgia, where I reverse engineer comfort foods and make them healthy and plant-based. That gives brands something to sink their teeth into. Okay, you're a meat alternative, a meat alternative meat crumble. Be a part of this, and I'm going to show people how to use your product to like please their family. So you give them a little more narrative and subtext, and you make it a little richer. For anyone listening who's unfamiliar with your account, if anyone were to go on, what can they expect to see? What are the types of things that you're posting about? And what types of brands are you the best influencer for? Here's what I love about wellness. It's everything. <laughs> so for me, sometimes people are like, oh, you just do fitness. No, I love fitness. It's a big part of my brand, but I am a fitness and wellness and health and nutrition. I'm plant forward. So I'm mostly plant-based, but it really runs the gamut. So I tell that story, what that looks like in my family. I believe financial wellness is part of wellness. I believe being organized and being on time and getting your brain in order and not being overwhelmed is part of wellness. So it pretty much ladders into anything lifestyle. It has a wellness slant if you tell the story right. And I also say all the time to my husband when he's like, I don't know if that brand's right. And I say, you know, everything's just a writing problem. There's usually a way in to for me to tell my story, for a brand to have a piece of me in some way. We just need to find the in. So I work with brands, oh my goodness. I mean, pretty much every brand on the planet from the smaller up and coming healthy CPG brands to, you know, the big Procter and Gamble type brands that are, because it all makes sense. You know, if you're a small, like small batch kombucha company, I'm in. If you're, you know, Clorox wipes and we want to talk about how to keep our families safe and healthy during a global pandemic, I'm your girl. So let's talk about it. And then I also try to make them really round. So like I'll do the Instagram and then I'll also say, why don't we plus this up? How could you fit into my podcast? How could I represent you on television? How can we make this 360 so I'm really bringing the all of me to your story? So for many of our listeners who are, of course, entrepreneurs, they have a business, they want to partner and work with influencers and talent to share their brand story. 
from all of the pitches that you get, I'm sure you get a ton of pitches of brands that want to work with you, but you obviously can't work with every single brand. How do you decide who to work with? Like what are the pitches that you respond to? So our entrepreneurs who are reaching out to influencers can really craft the message in the best way to get your attention or the attention of an influencer. Absolutely. Look, it's it's a it's a time when influencer marketing has become the new PR. So, you know, make no mistake if somebody says, look, it does not fit into my business model to post for you for free. Don't be offended because this is our job on the same token. And you can only expect to have certain messaging and calls to action guaranteed if you pay the influencer. However, when somebody comes to me and tells me their story and says, you know, I'm a woman owned company or I'm a mom that had has a child with autism. And so I created this deck of mindfulness cards because, you know, whatever the case may be, you better believe I'm reading that email. I, I want to help. And if I can, if I have the bandwidth and the time in my editorial calendar, I'm happy to help. At the very least, I'm, I usually don't accept product in advance of a formal collaboration agreement because I'm not a warehouse. Like brands sometimes are like, what do you mean? It's like, I don't girl, I, I'm not a warehouse and I just, I'm not, I don't need to have 75, you know, CBD gummies. Like I don't need it. And so if we're going to work together, let's work together. Otherwise politely, you don't, you know, you don't need to send me something. However, there are many times when I would be happy to do like Instagram stories for somebody to help bring their story to life and, and to get it out there. And there's also smaller ways to work with people. Like there's gift bag opportunities and just smaller moments. So you got to just talk to people and keep your ear to the ground. There's plenty of influencers who are happy to do things in trade. And so just keep reaching out, but also don't be offended if, if you get a no, because for a lot of the, a lot of us, this is our business. You also have your own podcast off the gram. Can you share with us what you talk about on your podcast? Off the gram came to be when I was doing a photo shoot um, in Central Park for a brand. And I was doing it with three other wellness influencers who were all friends because we are all friends. You know, that's what happens. You all go to the same events and you're on the same landscape. And so we were in this photo shoot. And as we were walking to the subway afterwards, we looked at each other and said, you know, wouldn't it be so smart if we did something together? And I said, I've actually been, because at that point I had just left PR. So I was still consulting. Brands would come to me and say, I want to hire you to do a post, but then they would hear my background and they'd be like, actually, we just steward the program. So I would end up being a consultant and an influencer for a lot of these brands. And I said, you know, I've been looking to kind of bring together a little network of wellness influencers to maybe have a little, you know, pod that we could work, offer our services to brands and maximize efficiencies. So we kind of did like a hybrid of that. We're like, well, why don't we do that? But also let's, maybe we should do a show. Like maybe it should be like The View, but for wellness where there's like four of us and then a guest. And we talk about hot topics at the cross-section of wellness and social media. At that time, it was myself, Heidi Christopher, who's a yoga celebrity, uh, Christine Biboher, who's NYC Pretty, and Allie Tish, who at that time she was the sweat life. Now her handle is just Allie Tish. Allie went off, she had a geographical career change. And then Megan Murphy, who at that time was the editor-in-chief, uh, the executive editor of Good Housekeeping. Now she's the editor-in-chief of Women's Day Magazine. She came in. And then we had our first year on the air. And we interviewed, I think we did, we had 80 shows. We interviewed celebrities, icons, legends in wellness, people like, I mean, Ariana Huffington and Katherine Schwarzenegger Pratt and then fun people that talked about wellness, Carson Kressley and Neve Shulman and Rebecca Minkoff and all of these great people. And what happened was four months into the podcast, the pandemic hit and we were like, what are we going to do? Are we going to just go on hiatus? Cause everybody thought the pandemic would blow over in two weeks, but 
<laughs> Jokes on we us. Are. Here we are. <laughs> so I was like, girls, I don't think that's the answer. I think the answer is we got to serve our community. We got to help people with wellness and sanity amidst a pandemic. So we swapped to Zoom like we're doing right now. And we, we soldiered on and we also started doing a series called Off the Gram Live because I was like, all of these brands wanna, they feel so sorry that they can no longer activate in an experiential way, especially consumer packaged goods, beverage brands they are used to sampling. And I said, let's do something experiential adjacent. So we got all these brands to do a party in a box and we would send it to all of our guests that bought a ticket to our live podcast recording on Zoom. And we would book a big celebrity. Like that's when we did Ariana Huffington or Catherine Schwarzenegger Pratt. And then everybody would get the same box. And it had like beautiful robes from Soma and candles and blankets from Tommy Bahama and snacks and goodies and stuff like that. And it was really this beautiful way that we built a community amidst a pandemic. And so that's where our show is today. Um, NYC Pretty Christine actually just stepped back to do some other things. So today the show is myself, Heidi Christopher and Megan Murphy. And we just, we have, it's a hoot. We love doing it. I love that. Any tips you can share about setting up a podcast, the process involved in doing so, and any learning lessons along the way? Lucky for me, again, that I had my long history in PR because I'm like a planner. So I was I was the first one to be like, girls, we need a script. We need a run of show. We need like a plan. We need a strategy. So we've been pretty buttoned up since the beginning. And I think we are so lucky as you guys are to have multiple people involved. Like when there's two people or three people, it's really nice because it lightens the load. One person doesn't have to do everything. And we always say like, if someone has to sit out a show, we're all moms, like it's okay. Like, you know, it's if there's two of us there or whatever equation, we should be able to make it work. So we definitely share the load. I would say that really all you need, obviously these days is you can just use one of the platforms and self-publish and perhaps get a quality microphone. But we did use a podcast production studio, which we really enjoy and is very helpful. So there's many different ways you can go into it. It does not have to be high costs. For us, we had to also value our bandwidth against like, you know, how much we were doing ourselves. And given that we both, each of us had like a million other jobs, that was worth it to me. So we always look at the cost of doing business. I look at the cost of my time, right? As I'm sure you guys do. And then I understand where it's important to make an investment and where I can do things myself. Hey, entrepreneurs, it's Steph here. As a founder, or really as a woman in business who is creating their own success, whether you're just starting a business or you're scaling it, dealing with finances and money can often feel very overwhelming and intimidating. We have all been there. But according to fellow entrepreneurista and personal finance expert, Barnoosh Tarabi, that fear can surprisingly be very helpful for your future success and wealth. Barnoosh is the host of the So Money podcast and the author of the best-selling book, A Healthy State of Panic. She gets candid about all things finance with leading business experts every Friday on her podcast. And she dives deeper into the nine biggest fears that hold us back both professionally and personally in her latest book, including rejection, loneliness, fear of missing out and failure to name a few. She offers a wealth of knowledge and tackles the relatable feelings we all experience about money. So you are definitely going to want to subscribe to her podcast. And if you want to meet Farnoosh live and in person, be sure to join us at our Entrepreneurista Founders Weekend event from May 3rd to May 5th at the Ritz-Carlton in Orlando. Farnoosh will be speaking and she cannot wait to connect with you. 
You can reserve your ticket at entrepreneurista.com forward slash founders weekend, and we will see you there. Jamie, you have accomplished so much in such a short time. You are definitely like us, like type A go-getters, come up with an idea and make it happen. And I know you were sharing with us earlier that you know, your platform has really evolved into this connected community and you've now launched something called The Big Ask. It's your one-to-one coaching program. Can you share more about this program and how it came to be? I would love to. So I had been NYC FitFam for many years and it was an amazing portal to women. I had women DMing me every single day for years now, asking me questions, asking for help, telling me how much I motivated them. And it's funny because I always share, like, I'm not a personal trainer. I'm not a registered dietitian. I'm just a wellness geek. And I share what works for me. And I share also when I mess up and I'm very honest. And I think, you know, aspirational attainable is always uh, what we would call it when I was in PR. You want to be an influencer that it shows your life warts and all, you know, you want to show the good stuff and that, you know, but you also have to show what's real. And so women were coming to me saying that that really helped them and asking me for help with structure and accountability and sharing their, their stories about how they were feeling out of control with food. They didn't understand, they, they wanted, they had this vision of who they wanted to be with regards to health and wellness. And they just didn't understand why they self-sabotaged time after time after time and why they felt so out of control with food. And my answer to that, and I'm very open and candid about this, so I'm happy to share it with you, is I have a history with addiction. I am a sober addict in recovery. I have been for a very long time. The way food presents for most of us is very similar to addiction. Our brain gets hijacked by a thought, and it seems impossible to dismiss that thought, and eventually we just give in. And it's very difficult to keep up with a commitment like I always say, 9 a.m., Jamie, and my thinking and my resolve to eat healthy and be fit is very different than 4 p.m., Jamie, right? And I'm sure that it's like that for most of you out there. So how do we curb that impulsivity? How do we live life with support and accountability? What does that look like? And so over time, as I was doing more TV and I was talking about this on my podcast, it became really clear to me that I was kind of gelling together this method and that it was time to put it down on paper and write a book. As I started writing the book with my team, I have a business development team. They were like, you should start working with one-on-one clients, mostly to workshop this concept. Let's make sure as we write it, we're finding it and it's proven and time tested. I was like, absolutely. But I'm a big brand girl and I'm a media centric girl. Like I don't really work with, you know, I speak to women, but my business has never been B2C. It's always been kind of B2B and and through like a media megaphone. So I don't even know if that will work for me as a modality, but let's give it a shot. And I said, but I have had women coming to me for the past like two and a half years asking me weekly, do you do accountability coaching? And my business development team was like, I'm sorry, you're telling me you have consumers in your inbox asking you for a service and you're telling them you don't do it. I said, well, I guess that is pretty crazy. (laughs) So the reality is I just started taking on people one by one. And it's interesting when you've built a big business to go back to the ground with something and just to start, it is so humbling, it's so powerful. And to to really be back at the, the beginning, the core, the genesis of a brand DNA on, on a new project is very exciting. I started working with women, this is last year, just about a year ago, and it became the absolute favorite thing I've ever done in my entire existence. I love helping women one-on-one so much 
And my big mantra is always that we only keep what we have by giving it away. When I help other women, it's cyclical, right? It helps me. And so I encourage women to then go out and pay it forward themselves. The entire, I guess, mission of the big ask is that nobody should have to do it alone. So what I was hearing was that women had been trying day in and day out to get their diet and fitness on track for years. And when I say years, a lot of my clients are some are in their 30s and 40s, but a lot of them are in their 50s and 60s and 70s because I'm on QBC as well, full time. So I have a lot of my QBC uh, viewers that had come to me. A lot of my mom, my mom is Joan London. She is the was the host of Good Morning America for almost 20 years. So I have a lot of crossover fans from my mom. So like the boomer generation who they liked watching me, but they don't have the same vocabulary that perhaps some of us do. Like they're like, oh, sweetie, I love watching you do planks, but I don't know what ashwagandha is. You know what I mean? Like they don't, they don't know this whole wellness culture. So they wanted to do better with their diet and exercise, but they don't really have the same nutritional IQ. So we were really starting kind of from the beginning. And I started working with these women and it was just completely game changing. So what I did was I built this entire coaching practice and I do two modalities. I have one-on-one -on -one coaching clients where I am very much in their inbox every day. We are working on accountability and all of that. And then I have an eight-week group coaching boot camp, which is like a small group coaching format. And we meet every Saturday and then they have accountability stuff in between. The difference with my program versus other diet or accountability programs is this idea of the big ask. And that ask is, I ask my women to find somebody in their life, a hyper-local accountability partner. It can be your husband, it can be your roommate, it can be your best friend, it could be your sister or your mom. But this is somebody who about halfway through the program, I'm gonna help you identify your why, unpack your triggers. We're gonna figure out exactly what you need to ask for help with, and then I'm going to help you with readiness exercises to make the ask of that person in your life to give you that support when I'm gone. Because eventually we graduate from an accountability program. And then what happens? I found that with most accountability programs, at the end of it, you're just supposed to like graduate and keep up with it on your own when you've had that person there. That didn't work for me. So I teach women to ask for the help that they need in achieving their weight loss goals. Because most women have been doing this since they were 13. And say you're 60. That is a long time to be in mental unwellness around food obsession. How long are people typically in the program? I know you've been doing this for a year now, but what's the standard time? So my one-on-one -on -one coaching clients come in for 12 weeks and my group coaching bootcamp clients come in for eight weeks. And we are now launching actually a larger membership-based platform that is for everybody. Uh, it's a little later on the accountability, but heavy on the the planning, the social interaction. We have a an accountability partner matchup program with the platform. So, you know, for me, it's all about not doing it alone. I think that's a very important piece of the puzzle. And by the way, everybody says they want community and they want to like connect. And then when faced with the opportunity, they retreat because it's hard. Because once you actually ask for help, here's the annoying thing. You have to show up and do something. Like you have to like show up for yourself. You have to actually like follow through. But the freedom and the grace that's on the other side, when you have freedom from food obsession and you can be present with your family and you can feel good about the body that you're living in and you can be around for your kids and your grandkids. I had a client, I think two days ago, and I shared about it on my Instagram, send me stats that she got back from her doctor and she was supposed to go on, on statins for her cholesterol. 
And when she went back 90 days later, she no longer has to go on that medication. I burst into tears. I mean, this is what it's about. Vanity is lovely, but being around for our kids and our grandkids is the message. Definitely. And you're making impact in, in everything that you do. And Courtney and I, of course, talk about this all the time with having the Entrepreneurista League, our community for women entrepreneurs. And it's so important to have that connection and have that community because that's how we can all learn together and be supportive and, and be there for one another. So because we launched the Entrepreneurista League, we know there's so much that's involved on the back end when setting up a community or a membership or launching a coaching practice. Can you share some of the learning lessons from the past year? And many of our Entrepreneurista listeners are thinking about starting their own communities, even for their brands, because that's something that's so important now for, for brands to do is really connect with their customers. So any learning lessons you can share? Oh my goodness. I have so many. <laughs> it was really a fresh start for me. It was a new business. It was a new part of my business. I started very simply with a landing page for the big ask because when you do that, you're like, oh, I got to put pen to paper. Like I know what it is in my head, but I really got to get my mission down. And you got to start somewhere. Like you have to just start there. So then I had that down and I'm like, okay, what does payment look like? What does customer acquisition look like? You know, so I had never really been out doing, again, the B2C model where I had to go out and actually accrue people. I've always spoken to brands and directors of marketing, and, you know, it's a little bit different when you are a line item in the budget of a big brand versus talking to a single mom who's trying to make the decision to sign up for your program, but she's trying to balance her checkbook that month and the numbers aren't adding up. And you want to give of yourself to everybody. Like I want to, I just want to do everything for free. And I want to have everybody in my community. There's a happy medium with that. There's a happy medium with that. It is very important to me. Like the main goal of this community for me is to be of service. And that is my North star. And I think it's important to have a North star. When you come from a place of desperation with money, people can smell it 25 miles away. You have to approach your business from a place of mission. It doesn't mean that you let people walk all over you and that you're a doormat with finances, but you have to understand your North Star. And to me, if you understand that, everything else kind of drips down from it. My husband always says too, and I really respect him as an entrepreneur. Uh, he's been running a business for 35 years in the music marketing space. He will not take a record if he doesn't think it can perform, you know, and record labels will come to him and be like, oh, but like, I'm not going to say an artist's name because I don't want to offend, but you know, Lady Gaga's on her, Demi Lovato's on it. And he's like, but it's not a record that I can do well with. And if I'm taking it for the wrong reasons, the money's not sticky and eventually it will go away. And I've always remembered that. I think it's a really nice place to operate from. How are you at finding new people to be members of your program? Here's the thing. You also have to be humble. Like I'm okay. So I talk about it on my Instagram. I'm very lucky to have a lovely megaphone of my Instagram. I have 120,000 followers and that is a great place to start. But 120,000 followers does not a business make, right? Like it takes a lot more touch points. And so I have been learning about all of the different channels. Like so I do have a business development team that backs and supports me. They're wonderful and they do help me with a lot, but you cannot hand off anything to anybody. You can have people that support you in your efforts, but if you're not hands-on and type A, like you were saying before, it's just not gonna get done. And also 
to a certain extent, nobody else should be doing any part of your business that you wouldn't be able to at least partially do yourself. Like you should have an understanding of all of the moving parts, right? Like up to a point. So I've been learning about the Facebook ad model. When I came in, they were like, well, how, what does your email list look like? And I was like, my what now? Like I didn't have, I have followers. I didn't have an email database. So that's something I've grown over the last year to be like a robust part of my marketing channel. But it's all piece by piece. But I think if you're too big in your britches to go back and start at scratch with a new part of your business, then you're never going to take a leap. You know, you just have to like one foot in front of the other. And that is really how you, I'm sure any entrepreneur listening knows that is the way that you do anything. The one thing I will say is don't try to do all the things at once. Because when I first left PR, my vision board was so big that I wanted to do all 900 projects in the first 60 days that I had left my corporate job. And I got so frustrated because I did zero of them. They were all partially started. Nothing was completed. And I started working with a life coach, this executive coach, and she was amazing. And she just helped me prioritize. And if you are an entrepreneurista and you don't have a boss, hire one, hire an executive coach or life coach, hire someone to help you put your priorities in order to give you deadlines and deliverables. What a great gift you could give yourself, even if it's just for 90 days. I found that I found that to be wildly helpful because left to my own devices, I am like an ADD. Every tab is open in my brain and I don't know which one is playing music mess. I think we're, I think we're all like that actually. And that that's such great advice. And Courtney and I, have worked with a business coach for many years since the early days of starting Social Fly. And it is very helpful to have someone that helps to hold you accountable and can be there as a sounding board for you. Courtney and I always called her our uh, counselor together, right? Our business therapist, <laughs> a couple counselor. <laughs> yeah. And we're actually, actually, by the time this episode airs, it's already going to be live. We're launching something called Entrepreneurista Circles. Uh, which for our listeners right now that are listening, it is live, entrepreneurista.com forward slash circles, where our members can be in these coaching accountability groups where they're smaller groups with a business coach. And Leslie, our coach, is actually is leading them. So it's so important to, to have that connection and, and attention from a coach. That is wonderful. It's everything. And when I have spoken on panels with other women, leaders, and successful women, by and large, I've heard this time and time again, there will always be a question from the audience, you know, maybe trying to look for a trait that we all share in common. What did all of you do that helped you get to where you are? And nine times out of 10, all three or four or five of us will say, oh, I worked with a business coach. I have a life coach. I have an executive coach. It is very common. And that's why I think that this coaching space is like the new frontier and it's so wonderful and important. And now with the virtual world, it's so great because it's so easy. You can sit down and get somebody's, you know, their brain and be able to speak to them face to face and you don't have to be in the same room. And it's really opened up a whole world of opportunity. How do you manage your time? Because you're obviously managing a lot between your coaching and your Instagram and also your TV appearances and you're a mom. How do you do it all? So here's the thing. I have help. Um, and I think it's wonderful to have help. I, you know, I know no, not everybody has help. I have childcare and I have assistance. I work with some really sharp, wonderful young girls. And whenever a young woman reaches out to me, I am immediately there to offer advice and informational 
because of the follow-up thing, because of the thing that I opened up this podcast with when I said follow-up's the most important thing. So like even the other day, not to, I'll get back to my time management in a second, but the other day, my mom is actually now a professor at Lehigh University. She's teaching a class called Population Health in the Media. One of her students reached out to me because my mom had mentioned me in class and just sent me a note and said, you know, your mother had spoken about you in class and I was impressed and I was wondering if I could just connect with you because I'm also like an up and coming wellness blogger and trying to find my way in life. And I said, anybody who takes the time to compose a well-written email and you are like 19 or 20 years old, like you've got my time, you know, cause go you. And then what ends up happening is I usually hire them. So I have a bunch of young sharp girls that help me with various things in my life and in my days. But by and large, I do it all myself. I do my best to be organized and have good time management. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But again, it's really, you start to just learn as you get older that it's about prioritizing. (laughs) You know, I always say like, I don't control the hands of time. Like if I have live television coming up, I have live television coming up, you know, and everything else has to take a back burner. And I do my best not to overbook or overplan or overcommit, you know, to brands or, or partners. And sometimes I make mistakes and sometimes I hit the nail on the head, but I'm learning more and more as I get older to protect my sleep. I used to be one of those people, uh, I live in Pennsylvania now, but I was a hardcore New Yorker. And I was one of those people who just thought it was so cool to brag about how much sleep I didn't get. And it's so not cool, you guys. It's so not a badge of honor. In fact, Ariana Huffington on my you know, Off the Gram podcast, she opened with a story where she had been burning the candle at both ends and she actually collapsed and woke up in a pool of her own blood. She broke her cheek. And she, now her she's a huge champion for sleep. And part of wellness is, is definitely sleep and sleep hygiene. And so I'm very, very protective now over my sleep and I'm protective over my time with my kids. But I will also say, that I refuse to feel that mom guilt, I don't have it. I know my kids know. I know my kids know that I love them, that I would do anything for them, that I'm here for them. And also that I want to teach them the value of hard work. And I think it's okay if different people's cups are filled with different things. I love being a mom, but I would be a shitty stay-at-home mom because my cup wouldn't be filled. I enjoy working. I enjoy the hustle. And so I want to be the best version of me for my kids, even if it's kind of cliche. And they they appreciate that and they get it. I always say my kids will never hear me or my husband say, oh, I have to work or I'm so busy. I hate this. Or they will always hear us say, I get to go to work. I get to show up because that is the attitude that we have in this house. And I insist upon it. I love that. I love that. You mentioned earlier making mistakes. What do you think is the biggest mistake you've ever made? And can you share? I mean, it's such a loaded question because I've made a gazillion mistakes and I continue to make them every single day. And, you know, I made a a million mistakes growing up in my younger years, especially in my party days. You know, I just didn't, I just wasn't able to balance all of the things. These days I really, and again, I'm sorry if this sounds like a cliched, like job interview answer to this question, but I really mean it. I don't look at my foibles as mistakes. Like they really are learning opportunities. They're building blocks. And I say that because what I'm encouraging people to not do, like, don't freak out. I, when I make a mistake, I like immediately admit it. I'm like, what? I made a mistake. Like I just, before this podcast, I was emailing one of my partners and I was a little bit late in a deliverable, which is very unlike me, but I've had a crazy week. I was on the view this week. I was, had like a million big TV things. 
And like live TV waits for no one. Like I, that was my priority this week. It just was. I'm not going to go on the view unprepared. I'm going to take my time and do it right. And so this other thing had to wait, but it was my mistake for promising it when it wasn't realistic. And so I, I didn't try to stay up all night tonight and finish it. I just said, you know what? I'm so sorry. I have to level set with you. I made it an error. I didn't evaluate my calendar well enough and it's totally my fault, but how can we, how can we work this out? Let's fix it together and let's talk to your, he's the PR agent for the client. I said, let's talk to your client. I'm happy to talk to them myself if it's, if, you know, if it would put you in a bad place. And he said, no, don't worry about it. Let's push it a week. Let me just let them know. And that's usually how it works out. So sitting in the fear of making a mistake or, or not wanting to have that difficult conversation is always worse than just having the conversation and walking through the fire because on the other side, the burn goes away real quick, but you just need to get through it. All right, Jamie, we start our final segment off with a few rapid fire questions. So the first thing that comes to your mind, are you ready? Ready. All right. What is an app that you cannot live without? Oh, an app I cannot live without would be, and I feel like I need to like look at my phone. Like what are my like front apps? Oh my God. This is so stressful. Um, oh, I know. Um, Planoly. Is that how you say it? Planoly. Planoly. Yes, yes. yes. That is an app I could not live without because I had to plan my ed- editorial content. What is your typical morning routine? Very like formulaic and like never changes. I get up at either 5.30 or 6, try to get up before my kids. I immediately eat breakfast, which is always oatmeal with blueberries and protein powder and have a cup of coffee, then I help my kids get up and then I do a workout. That is my non-negotiable unless I have early TV because I really believe in getting your body moving first thing. Where is your happy place? In a workout. (laughs) It's like the only place that anxiety doesn't follow you, right? It's moving meditation. And to me, it is a cherished moment in my day. What is your favorite workout routine? Okay, <laughs> this is so loaded because this is like my entire life, but um, I'm a huge Soul Cycle fan. I'm a huge Barry's Boot Camp fan. I actually got engaged on the treadmills at Barry's Boot Camp. So that's like my temple. And I'm a huge yoga fanatic. So I love me some Y7. And I always flow every Saturday with Hallie Homegirl, who has become my like pandemic yoga guru. What is your go to healthy snack? Apples. I'm like an apple geek. It's kind of boring, but it's my favorite. Now I want one. <laughs> I know. I have a bunch of apples here, so I'm going to have one after this. What is your hidden superpower? Being able to convince people of things, because I think that it's really an art, the art of persuasion and being able to state your case in a way where everybody leaves happy and feels like it was their their decision. So it's definitely a good superpower. <laughs> it is and a good superpower. Finally, how would your friends or family describe you in three words? Intense, passionate, and happy. You love that. That's it. I mean, I, I, you know, I don't believe in the, like the hardship Olympics. Oh, I'm so busy. Life is so hard. Like if you come off happy every day, that is the law of attraction. You will magnetize people to you. So lead with that. I love that. All right. Back to our, our regular questions now. What is your favorite way to unwind at the end of a very full day? Oh man, this is the worst. Cause now I'm going to look like a, like type a loser, but it's so funny. People are always like, have you binged that show? No, I have not binged that show. I don't know what you're talking about. I haven't watched TV. That's not Peppa Pig in 10 years. Same here. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not like the biggest unwinder because I have kids. And so at the end of the day, I button up work, but buttoning up work allows me to go to bed with a clear mind. So I don't tend to like watch shows or take a bubble bath. 
I do tend to sit in bed and do an hour or two of work at the end of the day. But to me, that allows me to wake up refreshed and not in a state of panic. I'm the, the same, same way. way. So, uh, <laughs> we're both, sure. the, we're all the same way. Do you have any tips for our listeners who are struggling to find time to work out during the day? I guess yes. that's a tip for me because hundred percent. So this is what I probably deal with more than anything else. Like my entire program is really based around planning. I say I'm the Sherlock Holmes of people's calendars. So I really help my women that come to me in the big ask. I help them figure out their pockets of time or where they could be asking for help to be supported with childcare or with workflow or whatever the case may be. There's always more hours in the day. If you get up a little earlier or you do something at the end of the day, like it's not always comfortable, but it's a non-negotiable. So that's the the first tip is that it's a non-negotiable. Okay. Like I work out seven days a week. I do three days a week of sweaty cardio, four days a week of something else, sculpt, yoga, whatever. It doesn't all have to be high intensity. Three days a week, I'm sweating. The other four, I'm doing whatever else and probably enjoying it. So planning, planning, planning. I anchor every day around my workout. It is the first thing to go on my schedule and everything else falls in place around that. And then if something comes up that has to go in that place, it's a jigsaw puzzle. We're going to figure it out. You cannot leave it up to chance. And I'm a very big fan of signing up for live classes. If you are still like pandemic, like homebound, and you're not going to a gym yet, which a lot of people are not comfortable going to a gym yet, there are so many classes available on Zoom. But signing up for something where you have accountability and a start time is the key. Now, the last thing I'll say is the reason I created the big ask is because you can also just be accountable to another human. My husband and I, when we're marathon training, would say, okay, this is how many miles I'm running today. I will send you a picture of the treadmill dashboard at the end. That little bit of accountability, he might be in the same house. We have a treadmill in our house. He's in the house, but I have to send him the picture because just telling him I'm going downstairs and running the treadmill, if I said I'm going to run three miles, I'm probably going to get off after two and a half because I have to pee and then I'm going to get stuck scrolling Instagram and I'll never get back on. <laughs> if you don't have accountability, you're not going to do it. So it's really important to set yourself up for success. I need an accountability partner, Stat. Courtney? Yes, Memphis. <laughs> I'm here for you. <laughs> what are uh, some typical asks that people have in the program? So they're really around trigger foods, things that are very difficult. Like a lot of women have the same thing that trips them up, but they're embarrassed to admit it because it seems it seems silly, right? So every time, you know, after dinner, my husband goes into the other room and he's working and I'm left to clean up the kids' dishes and I can't keep my hands off of their pizza crusts and leftover chicken fingers. How many times do we do that? And we just think, oh, whatever. It's like a little extra mac and cheese. But that's like, silently killing you. If, if, if every night you say, I'm not going to do it again. And then every night it happens again. How does it make you feel? You know, it, it, it doesn't, it's, I'm not even talking about the calories. Like how does that make you feel to be out of control of doing the same thing that you don't want to be doing over and over? Or it's nine 30 at night. You go down to get a glass of water. You look in that refrigerator, but next to the water, you see whatever your trigger food is. You know, one of my clients, it's like these little like pudding snacks that they would have in their fridge. And now it's her and that damn pudding snack. And they are doing a battle royale and she's by herself. Now, when I did her big ask with her and her husband and we sat on Zoom and we did like a couple session, they both giggled. It's funny, pudding, right? But it's not funny to her. It's not funny to her. 
because she also wouldn't eat one. She would eat three and she would feel like crap and she would hate herself. And then it would start a, a new cycle. When she was able to turn to him and say, honey, I, I know this might sound silly, but this is painful for me. I can't have that in the house. It's really, it's a struggle for me. Would you mind helping me with that? And knowing that he at least knew it wasn't a secret anymore. She didn't have to pretend she was okay with the stupid pudding. The pudding was running her life. And he was so happy to get rid of it. In my home, ice cream, man, I struggle. I'm on the struggle bus, but it doesn't mean my kid shouldn't be able to have ice cream. But you know, we moved out to the burbs. So I said, we got a second freeze, uh, fridge and freezer out in the, in the garage. And I said, I bet there are locks if you looked on Amazon. And we got a little lock for the freezer. Now, is that extreme? I, I don't know. Is it, do, is it extreme that I now don't have to do mental gymnastics every time my husband goes away on a, on a business trip to try to not demolish a pint of ice cream? Now I don't have to think about it. He helped me with it. So these are the types of things, but you have to lead with your vulnerability. You can't just say, will you help me with my diet? Will you help me stay accountable? Because they're not the cookie police and they're not your nanny. And that's not empowering them to help you. They don't want to just say, oh, you shouldn't be eating that. Because then they think, you know, oh my God, she's going to think I'm calling her fat. That's not the point. You're in the driver's seat, but you have to make a targeted ask to get the help that you need. So important and, and so interesting. And it's incredible, incredible work that you're doing. Jamie, do you have a mantra or quote that you live your life by? Well, one of the ones that I mentioned earlier, we only keep what we have by giving it away is a big one. I really believe in spiritual karma. I believe in paying it forward. And I believe in mentoring other people. I believe in reaching out your hand to others. And when the hand reaches out to you for help, you know, always grabbing it. Just when I think I don't have enough time to help someone else is exactly when I need to help somebody else, you know, to get out of my own, as we say, mishigas in the Jewish religion. So yeah, it really is about paying it forward and karmic currency because at the end of the day, you know, that's really what matters. And that's what your kids are going to learn. They're not going to learn, you know, they don't care if you finish that spreadsheet, but they do care if they saw you be of service to other humans. Is there anything our audience would be surprised to learn about you? Um, well, I always joke that as much as I am a nutrition nerd, when I met my husband, I literally couldn't boil water and I'm still like not the best cook. And he is, he's the cook in our family. So even though we do a ton around plant-based nutrition, I'm usually the sous chef and he is like the recipe developer and chef. But I guess it's like less surprising about me and more surprising about him. And also just kind of shows that I won like the husband lottery, which I feel very grateful for every single day. That's awesome. <laughs> Jamie, our final question today, what does being an entrepreneurista mean to you? Freedom. It means freedom. I wake up every day and I cannot believe that I am in charge of my own day, of my own destiny. Now, at the same time, you eat what you kill, right? So like when I, my, with my second baby, when I went on quote unquote maternity leave, there's no maternity leave. If I wasn't making the deals and making the calls and doing the things, then nobody was doing it. So there's always going to be a trade-off, but in my experience, the trade-off is so well worth it. And especially being a mom, you know, having the freedom to show up for your family and also to be an example of, of hard work and carving your own path. Those are life lessons that are absolutely invaluable. 
So it's true. And we cannot wait to continue to follow you and be part of your story and journey and see all of the incredible things you do next and all of the amazing women you're going to continue to help. So thank you so much for sharing your entrepreneurial journey and story with us, Jamie. Where can everyone find you and follow you? And if they're interested in joining your program, what's the best place to do so? So I am NYC Fit Fam on Instagram. I also have a podcast called Off the Gram. So you can find us at Off the Gram Podcast on Instagram, or you can go subscribe to the podcast, of course, anywhere podcasts are consumed. And then finally, thebigaskmethod.com. So that is my website, and you can schedule a consultation through there. Awesome. And we'll be sharing all of those links in the show notes as well. Jamie, thank you so much for being here. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Courtney. And this is the best business meeting we've ever had. Hey, thanks for listening and leaving us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. And we'd love to stay in touch with each of you. You can listen to all of our latest episodes at entreprenista.com and connect with us on Instagram at entreprenistas. We'd also love to invite you to join the Entreprenista League, our private membership community for trailblazing women. You can head over to entreprenista.com forward slash the league. We'll see you there. Wishing you a productive week ahead. Founders are always asking us, what has been the secret to our success building multiple seven-figure businesses? Do you want to know how? It's our community. We created the Entreprenista League for founders like you. Our members have access to everything we've used to grow our businesses over the past 10 plus years. To learn more and get on the wait list for when doors are open again, head over to entreprenista.com. That's entreprenista.com to get on the wait list.